back. Had a little retreat this weekend, did we? Okay. You know what happens tomorrow, though, don't you? Monday, yes. Monday, Monday, so good to me. Can't trust that day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you who you can trust. The one who made that day. You trust him. This is the day that the Lord has made. Yeah. Uh, and today is the day the Lord has made. And before I get into this, let me, uh, let me just say that uh, this afternoon is your last opportunity to come and see Midsummer Night's Dream. Now, here's the deal. If you discover in the first act that you're sitting near someone with a very annoying laugh, move before the second act because they're going to get on your nerves. That's just all there is to it. It's a funny show. Uh, 4.30 today. Um, we're in John chapter 9, and this is one of my favorite stories in, in Scripture. It really is uh, for several reasons. Now, the chapter is 42 verses long. Let me, let me set a couple things up. Uh, I have edited the, uh, the, the chapter because I know that if you stand and read 42 verses, you're, you will wander. Your mind will wander. So just appreciate the fact that I've edited a bit for you. Also, the first slide, um, I was going to change between services and I did not. So it actually contains like a half a sentence that means nothing. So don't worry about it. I'll tell you when to stop. All right. Would you stand with me? And let's read from John chapter nine, the man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man? who used to sit and beg, some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. A second time they summoned the man. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. 
Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, without the presence of the Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that we will receive nothing today. And so, Lord, come and breathe upon us. Breathe upon our hearts. Enlighten us. Bring revelation to us, Lord God, for our lives so that we may be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus and the disciples are walking along. And they come up on a man who was born blind. Now, how how you tell the difference between someone who's born blind and someone who became blind afterwards? I don't know. But somehow or another, they knew that this guy was born blind. And they asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we have a tendency maybe to look at that question and kind of go... <laughs> Well, a different era, different age, a lot of superstition. They were probably thinking, um, you know, somebody did something wrong that this guy was born blind. Yeah, we, we know better. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is we ask questions like this all the time of God. We absolutely do. When it, when it comes to, to our everyday lives and really to other people's everyday lives that we're looking at, uh, some of whom we have no business asking the question about. But with ourselves, mate, let's say we do have business, but we, we ask questions this, this whacked, quite honestly. We tend to think that we live in a neatly ordered universe. We don't. We simply don't. I, uh, I learned, <coughs> excuse me, to love math in uh, my sophomore year when I took geometry. Up until that point in time, you know, math was just kind of math. Uh, but once I, once I had Mr. Blair, I mean, not only, not only did he, uh, and, I've, and I've told you, many of you this before, but I, but I think about it often. The first day in class I had with him, the first words out of his mouth was, students, let's enter this year with high spirits. And, and it changed my life. I thought, why not? why not and it's not just a school year you know you can get up in the morning and go why not why it, I, I i got a choice but anyway uh, it was it was the mysteries of math that he began to unfold uh geometry is, is particularly intriguing to artistic types uh now math is artistic is is intriguing to artistic types especially the musician types you know, a one and a two and a one, two, three, one, two, three. I mean, you have to count to be a musician, right? So musicians, they're, they're into arithmetic. But, uh, but all artistic types, uh, uh, you know, painters and stuff get into geometry and shapes and designs and things. And, and there's so much imagination involved in being a good mathematician. And 
one of the first things I remember Mr. Blair uh, telling me about that kind of blew my mind was he was talking about a point, a point. And we all know what a point is. I'm not talking about that. You know, I'm talking about a point in space. And he made the comment, and in fact, he expounded on it at great length, that they don't exist. They're imaginary. And you get to thinking about it. Yeah. I can kind of, first of all, a point in space really doesn't have any dimension. So it really doesn't have any width or anything, uh, much less depth. But second of all, let's say that you had one. Really, that point is not a point. It is composed of an infinite number of points inside of it. Even if that little bitty point were as big as, as a cell or, or only as large as, a, as, a, as an atom, there would still be enough space in there for an infinite number of points. Are you people listening to me? Is, this, is, is your mind blown yet? That's, that's what I want to know. And, and, and what goes for points goes double for lines. Because a line is the distance between two which don't exist. <laughs> and so when you, in reality, in a three-dimensional world, they don't really exist. And, and even if they did, each line would be an infinite number of lines going places. You know, and I'm sitting there going, I like this. This is, this is, this is interesting. This, this is, this is heavy, man. It was the 60s, okay? What can I say? <laughs> parallel lines, you know, in, in our nice ordered little universe, there's such a thing as parallel lines, but uh, modern physics kind of blew that out of the water, and there's apparently really no such thing as, as parallel lines. And negative numbers, don't you feel sorry for negative numbers? Not, no, seriously, not just because... And I know that some of you gals would love to wear like a minus two, uh, Dress, I'm t- never mind. But what's your size? Well, I'm, a, I'm a minus four. Yeah. Uh, wow. Y'all inspire me. Uh, but the reason I feel sorry for negative numbers is they don't have a square root. I mean, really. That's just sad. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember one day Mr. Blair doing a, uh, a proof on the board, filled up the entire board to prove that one equals two. And he did. And he got to the end of it, and sure enough, one equals two. And we're kind of going, Ugh. and he's going, you know, there might be a mistake in this somewhere. Can any of you find it? Well, none of us could find it, but he, he eventually pointed it out to us. And what he pointed out was he had, at one point he had taken a number. Actually, he didn't take a number. He called it X so as it could be any number. And he, and he divided that number by zero. And he said X divided by zero equals zero. Uh, and when you, when you say that X divided by zero equals zero, you can prove that one equals two. But X divided by zero doesn't equal zero. What was it equal? It's the square root of a negative number. Yeah, it's a, no, it, 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 it's infinity. It's, I mean, think about it. Whether you divide one by zero or a trillion by zero, the answer is the same. Because a zero will go into it an infinite number of times. 
are y'all interested yet? I mean, you want to go back to school and, and take some math or something? <laughs> Here's the point. Yeah. Of course, there's no such thing as points. <laughs> this is a different point. If the, if the little sliver of life called math is so inscrutable and infinite, then how much more real life and the questions that we have about it? We try to unravel the mysteries, even though there are an infinite number of reasons why things happen. We come to God and we kind of go, God, why, why did this happen? And what we have to do is we have to be careful to not bring him a multiple choice question. Because we tend to say, you know, I, I can't figure this out, God. I got it down to four things. Which one is it? A, B, C, or D? And God's going, well, let's see. It's, uh, it's WX to the 42nd power. That's not on this list. But it's true. You, you, you have, there's an infinite number of reasons why things can happen. You know, why does she like him instead of me? It could be because he's six foot four, president of student council, quarterback on the football team, and in the National Honor Society, and you're five foot six and dumb. <laughs> that could be the reason. But it doesn't have to be. You guys ought to go and retreat more often. That's... Yeah, it could be that she's really dying to love you, but his family's with the mafia and they're blackmailing her to keep her from falling for you. Or it could be that she's a homicidal maniac and God is protecting you so that you don't marry her and she... Thank you very much. And I know that that's kind of a ridiculous thing, but seriously, in everything in life, the problem is we feel like we know too much. Why does this one get sick? Why does this one die? Well, we don't know. And, and we, we think we've got it narrowed down. You know, why did I lose my job? Why, why did we have that wreck? You know, and we, and we come to God. Sometimes we don't even come to God, but we come to God with these things and we make assumptions and we pass judgment on others and on ourselves. And ultimately, there's really only three things you need to know. One of the things that you need to know is everything truly bad is due to sin. And, and that's, that's just, before sin, it was like the Garden of Eden. Because it was the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Y'all are on a roll today. I mean, I, first service, it didn't go that well. I'm just telling you right now. And, but there was, there was no, no sickness, no death, no sorrow, no sadness, no, no way to, to mess up except the way we messed up. And every, and sin opened the door for everything truly bad to come into the world. Second thing you need to know is everything truly good is God's gift. You didn't earn it. it, it sinner and saint alike. And, and those in between who don't know, which is, a lot of people. You know, everything good 
that's truly good. It says over in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. If it's good, he gave it. It's that simple. And we also need to understand it is, it is often truly difficult to discern bad from good. It, 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 a lot of things that start out looking bad end up actually being good. And, and vice versa. They write country songs about this stuff. <laughs> so just turn on the radio and listen to it. And then thirdly, everything can be turned good if God gets his way. If we allow him to have his way, he can take everything and bend it for good in our lives or in somebody else's life. Somebody, you know, when, so when bad things happen to somebody, we have a tendency to go, well, what did they do? Well, maybe they didn't do anything. Maybe somebody else did something. Or maybe that happened to them for your good. I have seen more lives on a per capita basis. I mean, I've obviously spent more time in this type of setting, but I have seen more lives on a per capita basis truly changed and truly revolutionized at funerals than any other services I've attended. And the truth of the matter is, some of the, some, some of the funerals were celebrations and, and people were kind of going, wow, that was such a wonderful, long, blessed life. I want one of those. How do you get that? Some of them were extremely tragic. Very untimely. And people come and realize, mm, it really is a brief candle, isn't it? I really need to do something. And I don't know, I mean, you know, a hundred years from now, I dare say none of us will be here. And certainly, in, in etern- certainly a thousand years from now, We'll be with the Lord. Those of you who believe in will be with the Lord. And, and none of us, it won't matter at all if we died at 3 or 33 or 103. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes that person is laying there and the only reason why they're laying there is because there's somebody who's going to go to hell if this doesn't happen and they come to this service and their heart gets touched. And maybe you, maybe some, we don't know. We, we don't know the answer to a lot of these things. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus Christ was not crucified on the cross because he did anything bad. He was crucified on the cross because I needed him to be. I want to look very, very briefly at some of the things. The healing, first of all, itself that actually took place. Jesus put mud on the man's eyes. Told him to go and wash in Siloam. Now Jesus rarely healed the same way twice. And for some reason, there seemed to be an inordinate amount of, of blind people that Jesus healed in Scripture and that, that it tells us a little bit about. In Matthew chapter 9, and then again in Matthew chapter 20, and so this was a time when he actually did do it the same way twice, uh, except in chapter 20 there were two men, and in chapter 9 there was just one. He reached out and touched their eyes, and they were healed. Now that's kind of how we, that's kind of how we would normally think it should go. Yeah, you reach out and you touch their eyes, lay hands on, and sight's recovered. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus spit on the man's eyes. 
Yeah. I mean, imagine you're blind, <laughs> coming up to Jesus, you're going, I want to be healed. <laughs> what was that? That's how he did it. I mean, that's what it says. Just says he spit on his eyes. He was healed. Blind Bartimaeus, uh, Jesus just just spoke to him. Just said, "You're healed. Your face healed you." Ma'am, there what well, didn't touch him, didn't spit on him or anything. And this guy, he made mud and then go wash himself. And I mean, he he does it different so many times. I just want to make two quick points about that. One of, one of the things that we need to be careful of is we need to be careful of taking our experience with the Lord and how we came to the Lord or how He did something in our lives and going, that is how it is done. Because that, that's not, I mean, that's how, that's how new churches start, quite frankly. And I'm not talking about it's local churches. I'm talking about movements. Uh, that, that's, that's how they start. I was... Um, Mentioned in the early service a long time ago at the Lord's Chapel, I, uh, a group came in and, and did some skits. And uh, most of the skits weren't very good, quite honestly, but, but one of them has stuck with me forever. And, and it was, it was uh, blind Bartimaeus and the man who was born blind meeting one another. And they were both excited initially that they had been healed of blindness. They had that in common. And Jesus was the one who had healed them. Wow, this is just great. And then when Bartimaeus found out how this guy got healed, he began to have his doubts about this guy. And, they, and then when the guy who had been born blind found out that Bartimaeus did not go to the pool of Siloam and wash mud off of his eyes, he began to have his doubts about him. And they ended up in this big fight. And I just remember Bartimaeus calling this other guy a mudite. And I was thinking, <laughs> ain't it the truth? That's, that's how we roll with it. That's, that's where we take it. Jesus often does it differently. And I think, I don't know. I haven't gone to God with my multiple choice questions yet. But I think one of the reasons why he does it differently so often is because we're not supposed to focus on the method. We're not supposed to think that if you throw this ingredient in and this ingredient in and, and put it in the oven for this long, then it comes out and you got your healing or you got your million dollars or you got whatever it is that you're supposed to get when you put that stuff together. You're supposed to focus on him, not on the method. Also, Jesus didn't usually hang around very long after he, after he healed people. Uh, you know, I think he wanted to heal people at times. And, you know, we tend to think, well, he couldn't heal them because... Uh, they didn't have faith. Uh, he couldn't heal them because they were going to react wrong. They, that, he would normally say to them, don't say anything. I mean, imagine Jesus is coming into a town and it's not his time yet. And there's, a, there's, there's a blind person there. Jesus wants to heal him, but he knows if I heal that guy, he's going to go crazy. This whole town's going to go crazy. They're going to jump to the conclusion that I'm their king and they're going to try and come make me king. And I'm not going to get to preach the gospel to him. So what's he going to do? He's going to preach the gospel. That's what he's going to do. So, you know, it wasn't like he was doing these things necessarily to get attention. He was doing these things because he loves us. Because he cares about us. And then secondly, I want to look at the reaction of the neighbors because I I think it's just a hoot. Uh, 
not what you would expect. This guy, you know, people didn't travel around like they do today all that much. They didn't have cars and, and roads and airplanes and stuff. And they tended to live in the same place. So you got to feel like most of these neighbors had known this guy his entire life. And we didn't read that part of the scripture, but there's a part in the chapter where his parents say he's of age. So he had to be an adult. And so they had known him his entire life. He's an adult. Uh, he's been healed. And he, and he comes back home. And they all look at him and they go, that's not him. Kind of looks like him. But it's not him. And, and I think one of uh, the, the line that really gets to me is him saying, yes, I, I'm him. I, I believe I'm, I think I'm him. <laughs> Here's the thing. Isn't it ironic isn't it ironic that they, they didn't have trouble believing that this guy who looked exactly like this fellow they'd seen his entire life was probably an alien who had come from outer space and just invaded his body or something or, or was a doppelganger or something that had kind of gotten in there. But what they couldn't believe was that he'd been healed. And, and when God does something in your life and you go to people and you share... You know, we have a tendency to, to go with the expectation that, wow, this proves it. Don't you see it? They don't. They don't. There's this, there's this blindness. It says over in Colossians that the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they're unable to see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even when it's standing right there in front of them. Somebody that they've known their entire lives. People will discredit God's work in your life even in the face of evidence. Don't let that bother you. We're going to get, we're going to, get to that here in just a second. And then, and then finally, the Pharisees. <laughs> the Pharisees are called in. <laughs> oh, man, I love these guys. Uh, you got to have some comic relief <laughs> in the Scripture. Jesus had healed on the wrong day. He healed on the Sabbath. He had this guy go wash his face on the Sabbath. He can't. He's a sinner. Most of us are aware that Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I would like to expand that just a little bit because we have a tendency to think in terms of, okay, that means that the Sabbath is really for us, so we don't necessarily, you know, we've entered into Sabbath rest. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me phrase it in another in another way. Let me put it in a, in a little more modern vernacular, maybe a wider vernacular, but I think it applies. God did not create us because He needed someone to keep His rules. He didn't come up with these rules and then go, well, what good are rules if, I, if there's not somebody i got to make keep them? I'll create people. See, that's not the order in which it happens. And so the rules, none of them are for that reason. All of them are for our benefit. But the reason, the, the Sabbath, the reason He created the Sabbath was because He knew that we were so dumb that we'd just work ourselves to death and we would exploit anybody working for us and God went no 
One day a week, chill. All of you. And we still don't do it. But that's what he said. And everything, everything that he gives us, all of the, all of the laws and the rules. Many, if you read through Leviticus and all those places, the social rules were uh, uh, in the law are to protect poor, the poor from the rich and protect the weak from the strong. Listen, l- let me just tell you something. The rich and the strong don't need anyone to protect them because they're going to get what they want anyway. That's the way the world rolls. God's law has come along to protect from exploitation. And when he says, do not bear false witness, that's, that's to protect us. When he says, do not commit adultery, that's to protect us. If you've been in a marriage where that's happened, by God's grace, hopefully maybe you've gotten through it, but it wasn't fun. It wasn't easy, I know that. When he says, have no other gods before me, that's to protect us. It's to keep us from running after false gods so that they, because they'll mess with us. Even the tithe, that's to protect us. It's to protect us so that money won't rule our lives. So that we, you know, take that 10% out and go, that's kind of hard, you know, but once you do, you're free. You're free. It doesn't have its grip on you anymore. The spirit of religion places people in a subordinate role to whatever our pet doctrine may be. And then the guy, actually there were, there were two times that the Pharisees called a guy. Uh, they called him the first time. They said, you know, who, who did this? And he goes, well, I really don't know. <laughs> uh, I was told it was a guy named Jesus that did it. But I don't know. I, mean, I, I was blind. And when I wasn't blind anymore, he was gone. And they said, well, what do you think about him? He said, well, he's a prophet. Well, I mean, they couldn't do much with that. You know, couldn't. And so they sent him away and they called his parents in. And <laughs> bless their little little pointy heads. They, they called his parents in and they said, is this your son that you say was born blind? You know, he's been faking it for about 30 years now. <laughs> How did he get healed? And they went, well, now they were afraid. They were being cowed by this whole thing because they already knew that anybody who said they believed in Jesus would be thrown out of the synagogue. But he said, uh, they said, well, he's, he's, he's of age. Ask him. So they call him back in. <laughs> and they've got it figured out now. We know this man is a sinner. In fact, I, I love how they juxtapose those two things. Give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. What's up with that? Why, why would you want to give glory to God about that? Of course, I, it was actually a charge to tell the truth. But anyway, it's just ironic that they put it there. We know this man's a sinner. He doesn't do it our way. He doesn't fit into our box. He's, he's done something that none of us can do. But at the same time, we, we know. We know. The, uh, the vocabulary word for today is hubris. Hubris. Uh, I think I wrote it down on your little outlines there. And uh, it, it means extreme haughtiness or arrogance. And, and actually, it's often in, it indicates being out of touch, really. Being so 
haughty, so arrogant, so proud that you're, and you're out of touch with reality and overestimating one's own competence and one's own capabilities, um, especially for people in positions of power. Those of you who are old enough to remember, uh, you know that the, the Nixon White House did not fall. Richard Nixon didn't resign from office because of some petty little crimes that were committed. He resigned from office because of hubris, because it was like, we're above it, we're, we're beyond it. And that's ultimately what brought him down. And it's, it ultimately will bring anyone down. Uh, and these guys had ample portions of it, but here's the thing. We, we tend to, to look and go, yeah, those, those senators, those congressmen, governors, presidents, uh, television commentators, whoever, you know, we think they are. You know, they, they, got, they got a problem with that. I, I've, seen, I've seen that. This is us. We have a problem with this. All of us do. We have a tendency to look at our lives and to go, uh, I really don't need God's help on this one. And I love what, what, what happens after that. It's probably it's one of the two or three best lines in all of Scripture where the blind man, the formerly blind man, says whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know. I was blind, and now I see. I love it. On one side of the table, you've got the power brokers. You've got the elite. You've got the educated of the town. You've got the, this council of Pharisees. On the other side, you've got a guy who's never been to school, doesn't know, doesn't know that points are imaginary, doesn't, doesn't, hasn't really been able to see anything until just a few hours ago. All he knows how to do is sit and hold a cup. So that maybe people will drop some money. That's all he knows. And, and they have this debate, if you will, and he wins. The power of personal testimony is incredible. I mean, seriously. Yeah, there'll be a bunch of people who'll go, nah, that, you're just, nah. But you know what happened. You know how he changed you. And when you come and you kind of go in, you know, I used to be, a, a drug addict. I'm not a drug addict anymore. I, you know, I, I, I used to, I used to be uh, addicted to uh, sex or alcohol or whatever or, or pornography or something. I'm not that anymore. You, I used to be depressed. I used to be fearful. That's not who I am anymore. And you, and you, and you share that with somebody. They can sit there and go, yeah, that's not true. But they cannot refute what you have said. Because you know it. You know what happened. In your life. And it's the most powerful thing you've got. When it says in scripture that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I mean, it's that combination of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and what he did in your life. There's nothing can stand against that. And I mean, you, you live on point in the world when you, when you're rolling with that. <laughs> but you see, in order to get there, you have to, you have to swap hubris for humility. Because the guy went, look, I don't know. I, I, I don't know some of the things that you're talking about. I don't understand some of the things that you're talking about. You know that, let me tell you what I do know. Let me just... And, and, they, and they snap back at him. You were steeped in sin at birth and you're trying to, to lecture us. That was their best shot, guys. 
That was all they had. <laughs> you know, they had, just, they had just finished with everything that they had to say at that point, and they threw him out. And when they did, uh, it's when he got his real sight. Because uh, the, the real sight wasn't when he went and washed in the pool of Siloam and all of a sudden could see things. The real sight was when Jesus came to him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, I, I, who is he, sir? He says, well, you're looking at him. You're talking to him. And, oh, yeah, I do. I do. That was where the real sight came. And, and, the, and the, the, the Pharisees... Well, Jesus then said, you know, for this reason I came into the world, so that those who are blind would be able to see, and those who would see would become blind. And, and some of the Pharisees standing there heard him saying, what, are we blind too? Hubris. And Jesus said, if you really were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin, but since you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What often happens with us is we, 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 get into, we get into situations in life and we know, we know we can't handle this. We know. We know we need help. We know we need to go to God about it. And yet, we just don't. We just don't. And we don't think of ourselves as being proud or arrogant or haughty, but what else is it when we know where the help is and we go, no, mm -mm. I'm not going to take that. Would you stand with me? Would those who are going to pray with people come forward, uh, our elders and their wives and staff? Would those who need prayer Come forward as well. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens, who daily hears our prayers, who gives us our salvation. Blessed be the Lord who reigns over the heavens, Reigns over the earth, who reigns over our hearts. Thou art awesome in thy sanctuary. Thou life and, and they're miserable they're miserable 
the marriage isn't working out, isn't, isn't fun anymore, and don't like my job, don't really like this, getting in a lot of trouble because you're just bored, quite frankly. Uh, trade the hubris for humility and just kind of go, okay, I, I, I give up. You know, you don't have to have a, a big tragedy going on right now. If you're drifting, you're just drifting, and you know you're drifting, you probably ought to come get prayed for. Any drifters, I'll come and be prayed for. Uh, and I know what's going on because it's gone on inside of me so many times. There's a tendency to kind of go there and go, I'm not going to let everybody know I'm drifting. pride, man. It's pride. It goes before destruction. Blow that away. And besides that, if you're, you know, I might assume that you got some other problem. We're going to worship for a few moments. If you need to come, you come. You come. You come. Oh God, you are my
I think it would totally revolutionize evangelism in this country, really across the world, but in particular in this country, if Christians just had joy. Yes. I mean, that's what people would look at and go, I want some of that. And, and the, the only way you can get that is, is, is to be childlike. And, and just come to him and go, yeah, fantastic. Well, this is the day you've made. So raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world so that we might be His children. I pray that that spirit, not only of sonship, but of, of childlike wonder, childlike amazement, would enter into your life. I pray that all of the mysteries that, that the world holds would just be made all the more wonderful because you know your father knows all of them knows the answer to them all may you experience the joy of those who live under his roof this week in jesus name